Well, greetings, everybody, and welcome on back to the Making Permaculture Stronger podcast. This is your host, Dan Palmer, and I am feeling so thrilled to be back on air. It's been it's been a long time since the last episode, probably one of the longest gaps ever, six weeks or so. Um, let's just say it's been a very full period for me, but I'm, I'm really very stoked to be getting back in the flow of releasing these episodes. I, I, have, I start to really miss um, getting them out there myself so hopefully some of you are, are also excited and keen to, to to tune in again this episode is unprecedented i'm so thrilled to be sharing it with you this has never happened before what i'm going to do today is share a dialogue with i think 10 other people so this is the first time i've publicly shared uh, one of the um the sessions of the what I call the Making Permaculture Stronger Developmental Community, where a group of supporters of the project come together. We meet every six weeks and we have conversations like this. I aspire to bring a, a resourcing energy in Carol Sanford's sense of the word resource, which is to return somebody else to themselves as a source and return myself to myself as a source um, of my own growth, my own evolution, my own thinking, and to support the process of becoming more and more consciously aware of the ideas we work from, the energies we bring to our work. And in my case, I'm very interested in those energies with regard to permaculture design process. So this is the first time there's been a public window into what happens in these sessions. And um, I tell you, I, I just, I find them so nourishing. To me, this is, I, I just love these sessions. I feel so alive. It feels so um, productive and generative and, 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 and healthy. So I'll be curious to see what you all make of it. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to share. And if if any of you out there find resonance, I don't mention this very much, so I did want to let anyone who might be keen to learn more and maybe join up to know it's an option, you can check that out at makingpermaculturestronger.net slash support, where one of the options there is the is that you'll see the, the Making Permaculture Stronger developmental community, and there's a, there's a whole lot of info about it. Another reason I'm sharing this particular episode is that I'm about to enter an exploration <clears throat> of the distinction between design process approaches that are sourced in the world of machines versus design process approaches that are sourced in the world of life and living, living organisms and, and ecosystems. And uh, as you'll find if you listen and, and tune into the conversation, it can be surprising, even shocking at first, to realise how much of our default thinking, even inside something like permaculture, is in fact sourced from the, from the world of machines and comes from a mechanical place. Which is not to say it's, there's anything inherently wrong or bad about such an approach, but I think it's very productive and useful and healthy to become more aware of where our ideas are actually sourced from so that we can we can choose what's most appropriate to the job at hand. And so I'm going to be exploring this stuff in an upcoming series of blog posts. I'm going to be exploring it in an upcoming conversation with Takota Cohen, who's one of the authors of the new permaculture process book, Building Your Permaculture Property. And so there's a few reasons here. We're stacking functions, you could say, in terms of why I'm choosing to share this. Very excited to do so. And I want to give a huge shout out and a huge um, amount of gratitude to Han Cortecas, Ronella Gomez, Nicholas Franz, Zola Rose, Barry Gibson, John Buttery, Arta Butelar, Dan Milne, Byron Burse, and Joel Mortimer, who were part of this conversation, who very generously consented to me sharing their, their voices here. So let's jump on in. I really hope you enjoy. Please um, leave a comment or send me a message. I'm so keen to, to stick with this theme, this topic, this exploration. 
Now, the last thing I want to mention in terms of you getting as much as possible out of listening to this is if maybe you take a different approach to listening to the average podcast, because this session was run with a with a lot of different op- opportunities to stop and reflect on your own experience and your own current understandings of things. And I really strongly recommend that you hit pause and you do the actual reflection for yourself so you can discover what's going on for you before you hear the reflections of myself and others. All right, let's get into it. We're going to be exploring systems thinking tonight. What is systems thinking? And the idea that we all look through the world through one lens or another, and some of us probably identify with systems thinking as, as the lens or a lens through which we view the world. And I want to really probe into this. What, 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 actually, what is that for us? So before we explore some frameworks around this, I'll, I guess I'll put you partner you one-on-one in pairs. And so uh, presumably you, you can all define a system, right? Like, it's a pretty commonly used word. If you're into permaculture, that word appears all the time. And so I just wanted you to think, how would I de- define a system? You know, in a few words, a system is a blah, blah, blah. It'd be good if you give an actual example of a system to get across whatever your definition is. And then what about systems thinking? And presumably the two are related. So what is, what is systems thinking for you? And, and then even to think about, okay, well, systems thinking implies other kinds of thinking. I guess non-systems thinking. For you, what does systems thinking contrast? Is there, is there another way, an older way or a different way that it's, it's, it's an alternative to? And then is there anything wrong? Do you have any issues or problems with systems thinking or do you think it's great or whatever? And then, God, there's a lot here, isn't there? <laughs> but it could be a while. What is mechanical or mechanistic thinking and, and how does this differ from systems thinking? The, the first ones are the more important ones. So just see how you go. Yeah, it'd be more important that you get, get a definition of system and maybe an example. And then the, the other ones are bonus extras. I'll be very fascinated to see what you come up with, and we're going we're gonna to use that as a portal into this whole domain. Because there's some very, very interesting stuff going on. We're going to be detectives tonight, help permaculture sort of sort of stuff out. All right, so I deeply encourage you to hit that pause button now if you're listening to this. This is a fantastic chance to engage with your own mind, your own ideas, rather than merely consuming the the ideas of others. So rewind if you need to, listen to the the request again, and you know sketch it down um, and and then when you're ready in five minutes or whatever it takes you um, continue listening what you're about to do is open up a um, very generously open up a, a window into your mind right and the the way you use the words about systems and systems thinking will tell me a lot so who's going to go first come on don't be shy i can you already are <laughs> damn it <laughs> so I'll give the same. I'll give the same pretext of like, look, I'm probably just get probably, into it, Franz. No disclaimers needed, and keep it right. tight. <laughs> so yeah, my uh, um, I'll start at the what is mechanic. Mechanic to me is is the little parts that make up a process, and then the process sits with inside a system. And so systems thinking is being able to zoom in to all the little mechanical parts, then zoom out to see the processes they affect, and then zoom out again to see the systems that they sit in and the how they affect. And systems thinking is the ability to do this uh, constantly. And the example I have is irrigation in my context. I've only got rainwater and I'm doing all the need to get all the bits and the parts and the pieces together to 
make up the processes and figure out which process is best for what situation that's gonna deliver the best results, but also capture most of that water back into the ground and also capture the water that's coming from the sky. Um, an alternative uh, systems thinking is basically an alternative to reductionist thinking. And I actually was wrong. I thought you were asking what is, what's an alternative to systems thinking? And I said, uh, regenerative. <laughs> and um, what's wrong with it is it can be overwhelming to attempt and you very fail a lot. And what did you mean when you said an alternative Initially, you said regenerative. Did, is that because you discern a difference between systems thinking and regenerative thinking? Or I read the question backwards. I right, thought, okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were asking what's the difference between system systems thinking, and I was like, is there like a one that's is there a step above? And I'm like, knowing hmm. Dan, he probably wants us to say regenerative. <laughs> <laughs> if in doubt, just say regenerative and hope for the best. <laughs> Thanks, Franz. Oh, let's keep it rolling. That was very, very interesting. And it was clear, too. I appreciated the clarity. Ronnie and I talked a bit about um, humans, like an individual human as an example of like how you can apply systems thinking. Seeing humans nested within other systems feels like systems thinking, whereas if you kind of put horse blinders on and just look at humans as the, the meat body that it is, not including the fact that there's all these cellular processes, these electrons, Trons and protons and then on the other side like aspecting you know there's like yeah. stardust inside humans like taking those out of consideration and just looking at oh it's a human mm. feels like very isolated horse blinder thinking but yeah thinking about a human being being nested in the middle you know you're like not limiting yourself to the resolution of human but seeing all the cellular processes and then below and then above, you're seeing all these other ecosystem and, you know. Yeah, so not getting caught at one or even a few levels, but, you know, moving up and down the nestedness. Mm. Great. So Arthur and I um, had a discussion. We were a bit more simplistic. Uh -huh. um, and we talked about a system first yep. um, as a group of elements that works together with some sort of flow between them. Yep. Um, and then the... Um, systems thinking was to actually look at when you're looking at something to see that flow working and how it's uh, flowing between the elements yep. within for instance if you're looking at a garden uh, to look at the and you look at the bee within the garden to look at it in relation to the system as opposed to the bee as a as a piece in itself mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, so it's um, uh, so I guess that's where we sort of came to it. Well, is that right there, Arthur? Yeah, yeah. And like the system thinks, thinking is more uh, looking at the relations than at the elements yeah, yeah. themselves. And when you want to understand something instead of, like when you want to understand the bee, instead of breaking the bee apart in all these parts to understand it, you look at the system it's nested in to see how it's related to that system. And then yep. you will understand the bee in a different way. So, um, yeah. Yep. That's kind of what we uh, what, what we came up with. Yeah, great, brilliant. Um, yeah, I, I just did an introduction course. I gave you an introduction course and I also had a part on systems thinking. 
And actually, I wanted to try to change it to get more living system thinking into it, but it was really challenging for me. Yeah. So, yeah, but this, yeah. that's kind of the way I explained it there. Like. Yeah. 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 Great. Great. Well, tonight's going to be going to be fun. Who hasn't shared? Have we heard from Zola. I think Joel's got oh, yeah. his hand up. Yeah, the, the Joel, I think you had your hand up already. Oh, yeah, Joel, go for it. Yeah, uh, yeah so I, I see systems thinking and holistic thinking being closely related, and a lot of people have spoken to that already, that um, it's it's going, going beyond the reductionism. Um, but I, I think also that systems thinking is, it starts with, um, I guess, knowledge of what a system is, and the system being something which is interrelated internally within itself, but also externally, at, as we said, the nesting, but also has emergent properties. This um, phenomenon of emergence happens specifically with systems. Yeah. And also um, evolution as well. So systems mm -hmm. evolve um, and they change and they progress. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, Ronnie was just um, getting to that as well, mm, the, mm, the time mm. aspect. But I guess it starts with that knowledge, but then what is systems thinking is um, progresses to understanding that, oh, I'm looking at this COVID situation and when things are progressing, but my life's still going on as normal, I'm thinking, oh, this, this won't become anything real. This is just, this will blow over within a few days or weeks. But then when it suddenly becomes real, you go, oh, well, this is the new normal. It's always going to be like this now failure to see beyond mm. what we're currently in mm -hmm. um yeah mm -hmm. so i guess that would be like um integrating the um beyond the understanding of systems thinking but actually seeing um your own thought processes becoming um in line with the systemic nature of reality mm -hmm. yeah interesting and zola and han were you together yeah, yeah, we were. Did you want to speak, Han? Um, yeah, like I feel we, we didn't delve a whole lot into systems thinking. We we kind of got what's a system for you about systems? Yeah, yeah. Itself. Yeah. Um, where we like is is a system something that like an an organism or organization that's has been organized through principles of systems thinking or will will any system that has aspects of, of nature or natural processes count as a system where, for example, many organizations are very mechanically and hierarchically organized, but there will be many natural processes through the people not following the hierarchy or through how they organize themselves. Um, they will, they will show systems properties where then a car, for example, that is very mechanically organized does not show system properties as the par parts among themselves cannot reorganize through, um, interactive processes or relational mm -hmm. processes yeah. where of course time acts upon it and corrodes the parts but they don't reorganize in a way that that a system like an organization or a school would yeah um, i don't know if you have more to add sola 
Uh, yeah, I could just add in that um, that it's around the that interconnectedness, those relationships that uh, that and as another person said, it's those those nested holes that is that systemic thinking. And again, time as has been mentioned, so all of those things, the evolutionary nature. I just expressed my frustration at being a systems thinker and seeing everything systems. Well, I see the potential of everything to be a better um, system than it is because I see things have been created very mechanistically um, for the most part. Um, and a lot of people's thinking that I encounter is quite mechanistic. So I have a lot of frustration um, quite often <laughs> around dealing with sort of life as it is based. Um, and uh, yeah, like for instance, my, my focus is in housing and I was just called today to be invited to sit at a, a workshop round table and they're like, so should we put you in the affordable housing table? And I was like, uh, well, actually, there, I'll, there's a table that doesn't, I'm sure, yet exist, <laughs> the systems table. <laughs> so that's going to be interesting for me. I'm going to go to this workshop tomorrow where, you know, again, it's sort of compartmentalized and siloed. And I'm trying to bring in this more systems approach to housing. And I'm like, is there anybody here with me? Anybody, uh, you know, that gets this? Uh, what I'm talking about. So yeah, I just run into it um, in, in different ways. I was saying my kids go to a high school that's very mechanistic in its, you know, way it's made and that frustrates me on a daily basis. What's the yeah. crux of the, oh, you know, what's the crux of the difference for you, Zola, between a, 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 me a mechanistically organized thing and a systems thinking organized it's thing. sort of like if you do this input you'll have this output or this input in this really you know like it just is is thinking like in, again if i go back to the housing it's like have a piece of land yay got the land great okay let's move on all the you know the diggers to make some foundation oh okay let's move on the materials done okay it has a five-star rating oh that's good okay let's move in the people good done Yay, we build houses for people. Everybody's going to be happy now. That, you know, that's the way it's being done at the moment. And it's really frustrating. Yeah, like, but the people are a system. The land is a system. You know, like, what you created is, you know, you, you, you're working with systems and you're treating them all as, like, dead parts. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's no potential in anything except for getting it done with and getting some a you know financial return from it or something or some yeah. tick in a box or whatever great um Roddy, you had a question about time just in terms of like if uh i think byron was saying that you could look at something on a granular tiny tiny level of atoms or we also discussed expanding out to the universe and seeing the interrelatedness of it all but we could also go back and forward in time and for yeah. me that's really interesting in understanding and i i would like to learn this learning how to read the trajectory of the whole and yeah. whether or not that's a trajectory we want to happen or if we can see potential for a different trajectory how do you read that yeah yeah that's when it gets interesting to me right i think uh, I, maybe I, i've got one more example which is just 
teaching, um, teaching a group of people. Um, and I think it, it, maybe it's useful as a way of bringing together a bunch yeah, of yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, discussions because it's, you're kind of, you've got 24, let's say 24 students who are all individuals. And the, I guess the richness of the class comes out of how they interact. Um, and there's a temptation, I guess, there's a there's a danger in in having a big group interacting all at once and so this is where systems thinking can be a bit dangerous in a classroom situation because it it's emergent you're dealing with emergence and you're not quite sure whether it's quickly going to get out of hand or whether it's better to break it down um, into smaller nested holes i, I suppose mm -hmm. so um, i had a group of 24 and on zoom it doesn't really work teaching with that many because people clam up and don't want to talk in front so we broke down into four groups of six uh, and that seemed to work better so we could get the the richness of the relationships of people but um it, it the the properties were sort of or the emergent the emergent things which emerged were, were more manageable and i suppose that's one of the downsides um to systems a systems approach is that you don't quite know what's going to happen mm. and, um, so in a classroom that, that can be mm. difficult mm. um so I, yeah that's just another angle for for looking at the whole bit, thing but judgmental dan they're one of the downsides <laughs> sometimes it's a downside okay it, it has a potential yeah 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 all right great well yeah that was awesome um i'll just scan some of the notes sorry um, dan the secondary school teacher not knowing what's going to happen can have some downside. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> your, I see your, your facial hair has been reorganising itself into an interesting system there, John. Um, all right, yeah, so that, it, was, it was neat to see some of the themes coming out. So one was clearly the idea of nested holes and zooming in and out. And then later we were talking about doing that in spaces as well as in time and not getting stuck on one level either temporally or spatially. Um, oh, yes, and there was the, there was the Arthur and Barry talked about the view of a system as a group of connected elements with, flow, with the flow and emphasizing the flow and systems thinking is, 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 is bringing the flow into the foreground and relationships between things rather than the things in themselves. Oh, and there was the flavors of, of interrelation, emergence, evolution that Joel mentioned. The contrast, it seemed, in general between systems thinking and mechanical thinking. All right, well, I, I've, I'm quite excited because I don't have a like a, um, a grand reveal or anything like that, but I feel like we can make some useful discovers, discoveries together because I'm pretty sure I've got some good questions. It's, like I was saying earlier, something's going on um, that someone needs to poke around in. Um, all right, so what I think I'm going to do is just take us to the... I'll share my screen. Just remind us. So at the moment, what we're doing, I'm looking forward to aspecting or zooming out after the session and um, and kind of coming up with a longer term uh, sequence of focus. But for now, we've been exploring a, a certain aspect. So this is living design process, which has these five um, high level aspects or qualities or phases or facets. And we've been zooming into one of them, which tends to happen earlier in the process, even though they don't, they don't, they're not experienced as a linear um, thing, which is dropping into the hole with your entire body mind. And then within that, we've in the past we've we've explored, I'm pretty sure we've explored getting and thinking, idea of nested holes, inspecting, 
um, holographic perspective, which we might come back to at some point because there's a bit, there's a bit in that. And last week we kind of I floundered around a bit exploring the idea of process first um, and getting out of this habitual pattern of freezing the world and seeing it as a sequence of snap, static snapshots. And today what we're looking at is this next one, system and field. And we're going we're gonna to be looking at this and, and exploring this distinction between a system and a field and by implication system thinking and field thinking. Um, and I think I explained last time there's this phrase undivided flowing wholeness that pretty switched on a person called David Bohm, a um, person Einstein described as a spiritual son and, um, and whatnot. Anyway, he, he, he did some really insightful work um, and he described the fundamental reality as undivided flowing wholeness, you know, as, as, the, as a kind of a more accurate starting point as opposed to divided, divided um, frozen partners, I guess. And, and I, I realised that the undivided is what we're exploring today. And so we're diving into that realm, and I wanted to bring in a few flavours too, because as I get more into Carol Sanford's stuff, I'm, I'm trying to bring more consciousness and more focus to anything I do, including this sort of thing. And so a few flavours here. One is this nestedness idea, so th so thinking in terms of, this is, this is, the me could be any of us, but I wrote it and when I put me, I meant me, as in Dan. And thinking of myself as nested within a, as a, as a autonomous living entity, and then nested within us, like this particular group of folk that are showing up here and doing this work together. And we're all nested within permaculture as a wider system, and there's, um, there's reciprocity is happening. So tonight, there's you can, if you, you can put yourself in the middle and, and you're, you're in exchange with us, as I'm in exchange with you. And in various ways, we're like, in the sense that we're actually sending information and energy and receiving information and energy into um, and back from, from permaculture. And I'm excited about that because the more I learn about the stuff, it's, it's like um, by working. In, in nested holes is how you affect change. Like it's pretty hard to just like shift something deep in permaculture, but within an inner circle of, of folk that are focused and interested, um, you can develop like memes and narratives and, uh, and alternative ideas, distinctions that can shift larger systems, even systems as big as the global permaculture movement over time. So have no illusions. We're not here to muck around. <laughs> And it's, it's already happening as well. It, it takes time and it can sort of be a bit invisible, but things are happening, I'm noticing. Another aspect of this is, is okay, what, what roles, am I, like, what roles are, am I playing, are we playing as we do this work? And in her book, The Regenerative Life, Carol lays out nine quite powerfully, and two in particular I feel are really relevant to what we're up to, and certainly what I'm up to. One is the regenerative educator meta role, which is um, focused on these three aspects the first is the what's the process and to me the core process that i'm interested in holding space for and being in relationship with you all in this context is about developing our um, design process intelligence where intelligence means not I, I score on an iq test it means the ability to discern and see complexity and to make wise decisions about when and how to, to intervene so to develop the ability to to, to see life and living systems and to intervene and 
um, in systemic ways to develop that as a skill. It's the process we're engaged in and the, the, the outcome of that, the, the desired product of that is that we're able to transform the capacity of the processes we personally are involved in to add deep, I threw regenerative value in there, which we can explore in due course. And then, then over, over time that, that feeds into the, the overall value of the whole exercise, which is to support the co-evolution of self and systems. So we're growing and evolving and we're able to um, do that in reciprocity with larger systems. And then the, the regenerative earth tender meta role, which is about the core processes making aliveness intelligible. And I see that as exactly what we're getting into tonight. What are the best ways of thinking? Is systems thinking or whatever we think systems think? Is that the best way of making aliveness intelligible? What are the alternatives? Are we consciously choosing how we um, view life and complexity or, or have we unwittingly taken on some residue from the past that we might be better to shake off? And what that enables us to do is venerate place to kind of fall in love with place again and to be to see it and, and respect it and know it and love it towards re remembering our kinship with life. So I like that because like over here, it's more, I don't know, it's more, um, well, it's a bit of it with co-evolved self and systems, but it involves heart and mind and, and kind of focused work, but towards these deeply beautiful outcomes. So I just want to drop those flavors in because they are, I'm, I'm, I'm calling them in as I approach sessions like this and I want to be uh, upfront about that. Is everyone okay with all that stuff? Yeah, you're you're yes. happy, happy to know what you're getting caught up in here? <laughs> okay, so what I want to do now is dive into this idea of systems, thinking and systems. And I'm going to share my screen. And I did a search today, an internet search for systems. Uh, I think I looked up systems thinking. And here are some of the most the things that jumped out at me. I just want to go through and we'll see some patterns in here and some of them will, will correlate with some of the, the things we've heard said. So I think you can all see that. This is number one. As I actually had lunch with this um, woman once. She's made an accessible presentation on systems thinking that breaks it down into three, uh, six aspects. Uh, you can see the first one up here is a little sketch. So systems thinking for her is about moving from disconnection to interconnectedness. And we, that's the main one I want to focus on. We're going to move through a bunch of these just to pull out some key themes. I mean, the upshot is she draws in a quote from Donella Meadows. Joel mentioned a book by Donella. She's a pretty um, universally respected and cited systems thinker. In fact, this definition of systems that comes from her is, it's been repeated you know, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of times probably. Where a system is a set of related components that work together in a particular environment to perform whatever functions are required to achieve the system's objective. The core idea being that a system is a set of related components. Uh, yeah, so this was another one that came up, Introduction to Systems Thinking. Every system has some purpose. The purpose is a property of the system as a whole, not the parts. For example, the purpose of an automobile is to provide the means to take people and things from one place to another. This purpose is a property of the automobile as a whole. and cannot be detected in just the wheels, the engine, or any, any other part. All parts may be present for a system to carry out its purpose optimally. So one interesting thing I started to notice as I looked at these is, is A, the core recurring definition of what a system is is that it's a um, set of interconnected parts. And sometimes the, it's this purpose is added. So it's a set of interconnected parts with a purpose, if they're bringing in Danella Meadows thing. A second pattern I've started to recognize is that um, the go-to example tends to be a machine. So in this case, it's a car, right? Let's keep rolling. 
um, systems thinking is a holistic approach that analyzes and focuses on the way that a system's constituent parts interrelate and how they work over time within the context of larger systems, which captures quite a lot of the flavors that we we talked about contrast with traditional analysis, which studies systems by breaking them down into their separate elements. According to the Merriam-Webster dictionary, a system is defined as a regularly interacting or interdependent group of items forming a unified whole. Um, systems theory is the study of society or whatever is a complex arrangement of elements, including individuals and their beliefs. Uh, systems theory that that also started coming up. Systems, which defines a system, this is a Wikipedia. System is a cohesive conglomeration of interrelated and independent parts, which can be natural or, or human made. That's interesting, isn't it? Natural or human made. A system may be more than the sum of its parts. That's another very common, is it a trope? Is it a, a meme anyway? I have to look up what a trope even is. Um, so you get the gist here. There seems to be a lot of consensus with folks that, uh, defining systems and interest in systems thinking and there was a lot of overlap with some of the stuff that we all said now time to um time for the plot to thicken a little bit so i'm going to share a, a little tiny bit of audio with you this is something if anyone hasn't heard this is really really worthwhile okay so you should be able to hear this it's just like a few seconds this is a colleague called yasha raw talking about permaculture and systems thinking looking at permaculture there there is quite this um engineer-like ecosystemic thinking behind it which i don't want to be unfair but in a way still pictures nature as some kind of very complex machinery interesting right so he's 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 making this claim that that permaculture uh, adopts an ecosystemic thinking, which sounds nice, but part of what that means in practice is seeing nature as, as like some kind of giant machine. And I think I looked up, I'm still sharing, I know you can see that. I looked up me mechanistic because it's often commonly a, um, a contrast to systems thinking. So if you describe a viewer explanation of something as mechanistic, you're criticizing it because it describes a natural or social process as if it were a machine, which was my understanding. It seems pretty clear. Okay, so now, now what I want to do is dive a little bit into the way that permaculturists in, in particular have drawn on systems thinking to talk about what it is. And keep in mind that permaculture is often defined as applied systems thinking. And so whatever the understanding of systems thinking that permaculture draws on is absolutely integral to understand what it even is. And I think you can see that page now. So this is from an old article early in the Making Permaculture Stronger Journey. And this comes from a book called Practical Permaculture, where Jesse Bloom and Dave Blonline share their prevailing understandings, permaculture understandings of the word element and systems. And I think this quote is very, very interesting. They say that in the simplest form, a system is a bunch of parts or elements arranged such that their relationship to one another, i.e. their function, allows some sort of job to be, get done or, or goal to be accomplished. And now notice we see the same pattern again. Now it's inside permaculture as opposed to outside, but the go-to example is a machine. So that, you know, they've defined what they mean by a system. We're gonna give you an example of a system, and we're gonna choose a machine, a bicycle in this case. For instance, a bicycle is a, single, a simple system composed of a bunch of elements, handlebars, chain, wheels, and so forth, put together in such a way 
blah, blah, blah. So they function to accomplish the purpose of transportation. We can see the same concept. So it's interesting to me, the same concept. When looking at the parts of the human body, whoa, we've jumped from a bike to a human body. A pile of organs sitting on a table does not make a person. However, when those organs relate to each other in just the right way and each performs its function, we are the result. So just like a bike, a human body is this, um, this interconnected um, set, of, set of elements. And when they all come together in the right way, the whole becomes more than some of parts. We see that again, and emergent properties appear. And they, they go on to, to apply that to design process, which we might come back to later on. Now, I want to give you another example, which is, this comes from the Permaculture City by Toby Hemingway. And he's sharing his take on systems thinking. He calls it whole systems design. So, you know, same, same, same thing. So he says, from the beginning, whole systems design looks at parts and assemblies of parts in relation to each other, not separately. So the key distinction that's being made is systems thinking, or in this case, whole systems design is about looking at the parts and their relationships to each other, not just as separate things. That's the, that's the discernment here. A wheel isn't just a wheel. From this new point of view, a wheel comprises, oh, that's interesting, an interconnected system of parts, tire, rim, hubcap, bolts. Again, once again, this is a permaculturist trying to explain systems thinking, and the go-to example they reach for is a machine. <laughs> right? Some of you are like, what the hell? And so on, he goes on to say, you know, blah, 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 blah. None of them in isolation does what a wheel does. They must be combined in a specific way to make this new thing that has wheelish properties. Other sub-assemblies connect to the wheel, the brakes, axle, steering assembly, and suspension. We can think of these those sub-assemblies as being on the same level and, and so on and so forth. And then we go up. When several sub-assemblies, wheels, brakes, steering, axle, and suspension are combined, they yield a chassis, yield a, chassis a pretty active rig. And anyway, you get the idea. Um, I might just go back to bring the point, the initial point home is, let's look back at this definition of mechanistic. If you describe a viewer explanation of something as mecha mechanistic, you're criticizing it because it describes a natural or social process as if it were a machine. That's a little bit interesting, right? That all the go-to examples, in these two permaculture books, and this is not a, um, an anomaly, I've, I've been looking through a bunch of other permaculture books recently too, it's surprisingly common how, how often, yeah, there seems to be a lot of consensus there, let's say. And I then we wonder, have- Dan, sorry, I just was wondering if all those things were written by men and if it's not a man's tendency to go towards mechanistic things because that's what they're so familiar with. I don't know. I just think gender might play a part in that. And if we were to look at women who are describing that from permaculture, whether they'd have that same uh, analogy? Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting question. I mean, it turns out that the Practical Permaculture book, the lead author is, is a woman, and um, in human permaculture here, it's a, a man and a woman writing together. Mm -hmm. And the core idea that we're seeing used here comes from Danella Meadows, mm -hmm. who's one of the world's foremost systems thinker. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's pretty clear, right? So the core understanding is that a system is a set of interacting elements or components where what makes it systems thinking is that we're focused on the interactions, on the relationship. And sometimes you see a lot of talk about flow as well. And a lot of permaculture was also predicated on the work of Howard Odom, a systems theorist that David Holmgren was a big fan of. And, and that was all about what are the elements in the system? What are the energetic flows between them? And there's obviously, at the very least, a risk that we're falling back into some kind of mechanistic thinking by explaining 
systems thinking, which I, I'm like, what the hell? Why'd you have to use a car for or a bike? Like, use a leaf or something. Like, to me, it just seems quite strange. All right, so, oh yes, I've got a question now. If you construe a system as a as a as a interconnected a set of relationships between component parts or, or relationships between elements or um, flows between um, components, you know, ha however you word it. So there's a bunch of synonyms for part, part, element, component, piece, I don't know, cog. Um, and there's a bunch of synonyms for system, like whole, pattern, interrelationships, system. But the core under underlying idea is that a system is a group of interconnected elements that through their interactions create emergence and where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. But my question for you is this, in that whole way of framing what a system even is, what is primary, the parts or the whole? Can you repeat the question? I yeah, yeah, yeah. just so missed a little bit. In, the, in this way of framing what a system even is, you've ultimately got two levels in all these definitions. You've got the system and you've got the parts. And sure, you can get into nestedness, but in, at any moment, you know, you've got what you're calling parts, you, and, and then you, the relationships between them are comprising the system. So in that way of thinking about what a system is, I'm asking what is primary, as in what, what, what I actually mean is, is what, what has ontological primacy, which means what is more real, what, like what is, what is the more fundamental basic reality? Is it the whole system or is it the parts? Or actually, sorry, there's a third thing. Is it the relationships between the parts? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Wouldn't there be that third option of... Yeah, the, you got three options. Okay, so how do we... I should have set up a poll or something. I guess we'll just go around. Or do you want to... You mean in this explanation, right? Yeah, in this way or, of thinking... Because we've, we've seen a yeah. pretty common approach. This, you know, we're pretty clear. Yeah. A lot of it stems from Danella Meadows. A system is a connection of... I mean, I'll read... I'll, I, this is one of the most classic ones. A system is a cohesive, con a cohesive conglomeration of interrelated and interdependent parts. So you've got the parts, you've got the conglomeration that equals system, and then you've got the, um, the connections between them. And I'm asking, which is primary? Which is the primary reality? Or they could all be the same, or one, one could sort of have a more of a fundamental reality to it where the other emerges or the others emerge. Well, I mean, some... I'll tell you what, Franz, sorry, I've got an idea. I'm going to throw into breakout groups. So I think this is an important question. I'll get you to ponder it in pairs. I'll randomize it again. Um, just, for, just for like uh, two minutes. And can I just ask, this is what it should be or what currently permaculture sort of says it is? So this is nothing to do with permaculture. So if, if your fundamental understanding of what a system is, is that it's an interconnected conglomeration or whatever, whatever you call it, pattern, whole, that's comprised of interrelationships between parts, there's three, we can tease out three, we can make a distinction between three aspects of that definition, right? The system, the parts, and the relationships between the parts. And what, what I'm asking is, which one is primary, secondary, tertiary? Are they all primary? Is one primary and two are secondary? You know, you, you get... You'll, you'll figure it out. Just see what comes out. Okay, I'll pop you into groups for just like, I don't know, let's say four, four minutes. Yeah, no, nah, we got it, Dan. Trick question. <laughs> <laughs> you would be in with them fighting words, straight up. <laughs> Think you just volunteered to go first, friends? Yeah, you can, you, can, you can call the trick question and redefine it. Tell me how it's tricky. But All right. Give me something. So, there's the concept of the what is the un, uh, the underlying reality to to the the 
the levels, yep. you know, and, and depending on your knowledge of systems or how much you're in tune to systems or your, your view of reductionist thinking and systems thinking, mechanics thinking, blah, blah, blah. Some of them you, you see, some of them you sense, and some of them you have to think about to get an understanding. So depending on the individual's level depends on what is primary, secondary, and tertiary. And like for someone that's never heard of systems thinking, then that's just going to, what, what they see is what, what it's going to be. Okay. Thanks, Franz. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if that was, was brilliant or it was a, it was a cleverly concealed evasion of the question. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> it depends, basically, what you said. Just before we go further, were you asking about what the way you, the way we, we perceive it's 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 uh, systems are perceived now, or how they should be perceived? What I'm interested in is the the ontological implications of that framing. So if we understand systems that way, does that imply that something is more primary? And, and you could also think of it in terms of that something comes first. Mm -hmm. So does the but system the, come first and the parts second, or is it the other way around? Or do the relationships come first? Or you know, Well, if, if, if you don't know any, like if you don't know, then all you're going to see is the parts. Mm -hmm. But if you know a little bit more, you'll see past the parts and you'll sense the connections. And if you know a little bit more, you'll get through sensing the connections and you'll be thinking about the whole when you first, when you recognize the path or you, or you sense the, you sense there's something going on. There's connection there. Thanks, Franz. You're getting a lot right. of nods out of John. No, that's good. That's good. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Yeah. See, but you're, what you're basically saying is that what's primary depends on your ignorance or, or, or well, you know, yeah, on your experience in seeing systems. But did anyone else have a straight out answer? The way it's explained, like for example, with the bike, then they start with the parts, like you have all these parts, then you put them together, so then the relationships are second, and these relationships create the whole, the bike, so then the, the whole is third. So that's okay. the way it's explained, I guess, and yeah. Yeah. most commonly thought of, and maybe at best, Sometimes they start with relationships, then parts, and then the whole. Uh -huh. But I think it's it's always implied that the whole is created by the relationships between the parts. Uh -huh. Often. Yeah. Um, for me, something that just kind of popped into my mind was ecologically, a zoo isn't an ecosystem because there is no interconnectedness between any of the elements, really. Um, whereas, you know, in the natural world, there's that interconnectedness which then creates an ecosystem or the whole system that we're kind of talking about. So in my mind, it's kind of, it, it feels pretty clear and maybe that's just like the really basic understanding and I'm pointed in the wrong direction, but it feels to me like the interactions between the elements is that keystone that takes it from a, you know, a zoo to an ecosystem. Yeah. Thank you. That's useful. Yeah. Like I, what I was also going to say, I feel the primacy of these different explanations are in the interconnectedness or the relationships mm -hmm. where because they they want to frame themselves differently from the more traditional analysis and in doing that so they do that through focusing on the relationship where they feel yeah. traditional analysis is looking at parts 
And here we say primacy is in the relationships. Yeah. And then I, I would say, yeah, parts after and the whole is the emergent property. Yeah. Yeah. Great. We talked about, Ronnie and I talked about um, also relationships and how that um, the relationship itself is something that is so dynamic. It can be nourished and nurtured and considered and cared for. And so that in itself, just that relationship, it's this energy dynamic that has so much um, potential, you know, richness to it. And, uh, and then because we're both mothers, uh, it kind of brought us into um, the fact that maybe we're more drawn to that, particularly because that's what we're focused on as mothers, is that relationship with our children and nurturing our relationship, um, you know, with them. And so that we're able to see that piece of a system and, and really uh, give our energy to that, to that dynamic. Beautiful. Something that struck me, and it, it, it's just sort of picking up on what France said, is somehow there's something between what a system is, whatever that means. So a forest is a forest. It, it is. And there's something about how we perceive and understand the system. And there's, in some sense, two different things going on. So I sense you choose a bicycle because everyone can understand a bicycle or something at some level. You're saying, this is something you guys can understand. So I'll choose an example that you'll all see the parts, you'll see it and you'll comprehend the whole in some form. But what, and this is what I've always found about reading landscape and all this sort of stuff. I don't really understand, don't grasp in some sense. And I get afraid of not grasping what's going on in a system. And I don't understand the parts. I don't un understand the relationships. And something there's something key in that whole thing about how we're tackling systems is our own inadequacies about comprehending systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well put, John. That's, 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 really... that's so interesting. And that's the same thing that Dan was saying earlier. Like, why not give that example of a forest? And like, it is so bizarre that, that that's the case, John, that we can't, we walk through a forest and we can't understand it, but we, we see a bike and we can understand it. Like you would think evolutionarily speaking, you'd think our brains would evolve the other way, but it just does seem that like our recent cultural era has actually changed our brains hmm. massively towards mechanistic thinking. And we have to carry a bicycle around as we read landscape and like look through the <laughs> frame of the bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, let's have, we'll have about maybe three more comments, and then we'll move along. So, Dan? I just I wanted to add that a, that a forest is a lot more complex than a bicycle, so it's not surprising in some ways. But Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, what's, what's interesting, I think the question for me that's really interesting is, what if the relationship between whole and relationships and parts is different in a machine and a living organism? And, you know doesn't seem like a ridiculous hypothesis but anyway that's that we'll come back to that a few more comments and then and then i'm i'm, I'm gonna uh, I, I, a few of you've i didn't set this up but it just turns out that if i had have set it up a few of you played into my hand beautifully i i, I think um I, I had a different opinion before john brought something up earlier uh -huh. and that is i think that without seeing the whole and looking at it through this perspective of the whole the parts and the 
uh, the connections are actually not relevant because you can have a brick, but it could make a brick wall or it could be part of your garden with some bugs living underneath it. But unless you know the whole, the parts, it's like a wheel. I've got a wheel and that's a part or even a collection of parts, a wheel and some cogs. But am I making up a mill, a bicycle, a car? What, what's the whole, what's it? And even the objective, like, like if, if, I'm if I'm actually after transporting people and I'll use those parts in a different way yeah, yeah. as to if I'm after generating power. Yeah. At the same time, Barry, in that case, if you're making up something, if you're making up this, that or the other whole from these parts, the parts come first. You know, you, you pick up the part, this part, and then you join them together. And then, so in that sense, the parts are, mm. are, are primary. I disagree with that because where I work, you sometimes have to think about the whole and then find parts of the work. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying you don't think about the whole. Um, so I guess in that sense, you could say the whole exists as a concept in your in your mind, but the actual bicycle or the mill or whatever it is as a whole doesn't exist until you've picked up and joined the parts together. So, you, you know, you could still say that you think of the whole as primacy, but, it, but the, the parts exist as parts before they're joined to create the whole. If that makes sense. Does that make sense? No, agree to disagree. <laughs> Excellent. And okay. What you also see with this example, I think when you have a pile of bike bars, you can actually put them together and have a functioning bike. But they also talked about a pile of organs. Even if you had a pile of organs and you would put them together, you would never get a functioning <laughs> human being. So exactly. Yeah, I mean yeah. I, I I was shocked when I read that. I was like, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> This is a, like a permaculture text. Ronnie. In terms of trying to discern a whole, what if the whole is changing? Oh, no, that's way too complex. To we can't deal with that just yet. <laughs> and if the whole is changing, then is, is the objective to discern the whole and try and explain it in terms of its parts? What are we trying to do here? As in right now in this conversation? Most holes are changing. Unless we're talking about machines, in which case a bike is a bike. I think the person one's interesting because you would never get the parts. You, how do you make a person? Just thinking about it. Yeah. You know, you never, a child you never is growing into an adult. A child is changing. Some parts and make a human. You think, oh, I would like to make a human. And then you go about that, don't you? But you don't yeah. go and get any parts to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful, Barry, to see that, that kind of going cha-ching and, um, or cha-ching that makes it sound like a mechanical thing. <laughs> and it's an unfolding, but yeah, Christopher Alexander would ask, so think, go and look at a tree and does, is, does, do the leaves and the branches, et cetera, and the roots and the trunk make the tree or does the tree make the leaves and the branches? And you, you ponder that for a while. <laughs> Things get interesting. Maybe we'll keep moving and we'll come back and open it up again a little bit. I mean, so what, from what I've heard from what you've said, apart from Barry, who's, who's holding out with the primacy of the, the whole idea, um, and I get, I get where you're coming from, is that it seems pretty clear that the whole isn't, isn't primary, that it's either the parts or the relationships between the parts um, in the sense that until you've, got relation, until you've got parts and relationships between parts, you don't have a whole. In, in this approach, when you, when you define a system as a set of, set of interconnected parts. It's pretty clear that 
if you don't have parts and A and B have connections between them, how can you have a whole? That's actually what it's defined as. A whole is a, you know, um, that's how I see it. We, maybe we can get other perspectives. And, and quite a few of you emphasize something that is emphasized in systems thinking as the key difference is that a zoo is not a, um, is not an ecosystem. It's not a whole, it's a, a, or botanical gardens or whatever, as opposed to a natural system where it, it's the relationships that make the whole. And a few of you mentioned, well, it's really the relationships that are primary or like interconnections. And I hadn't, I didn't plan this, but let's, let's do something interesting. Let's, um, I'm just going to have Google define those two words for us. So define, say, relationship, and then define interconnection. So what do we get here? So let me read the definition of a relationship out to you. The way in which two or more people or things are connected, or the state of being connected. Let's look at... Interconnection, a mutual connection between two or more things. And now you, you look at either of these definitions and I ask you the same question. Inside of the, the, the terms of this, these definitions, what is primary? The connection or the parts? And you, you can try, but you can't really make another argument. A relationship is defined as the way in which two or more people or things are connected. So there's just, there cannot be any connection until there are two or more people or things. Like the... the the whole thing um, reduces back down to parts. And same with interconnections. Mutual connection between two or more things. It's like, how can you have a connection between two or more things until you've got two or more things? You can have two or more things, as we've just talked about, in a zoo, and then you can connect the things. So in that sense, it seems clear to me, it seems pretty hard to refute that in the very terms of this definition, the parts, the elements, the components have ontological primacy, which means they can exist by themselves. And then interconnections are an optional extra, and then a whole is an, is an optional extra on top of that. And why this is fascinating to me is this whole way of thinking about systems thinking, if you look at it and poke it, it's not that hard, it reduces back down to being part-centric, to being dominated by the idea of parts as the primary reality. And if you go back to look at the definition of what mechanistic thinking is, which is the professed alternative and opposite to systems thinking, the real the key of it, when you say look at things as a machine, means look at things as, like if, I mean, maybe I should define machine. Define. Oh, isn't that interesting? <laughs> Noun, an assembly of interconnected components arranged to trend, da, 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 da. So a machine here is defined as an assembly of interconnected components. So you see what I'm getting at? System, how is systems thinking different from mechanistic machine-based thinking. Fundamentally, it's not. And um, maybe I'll, 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 let's have a few comments and then I'll, what I wanna do is actually move into a profoundly different way of looking and seeing and thinking that does not um, depend on the idea that the fundamental primary reality that we're dealing with is parts and everything else is a secondary epiphenomena. Just a few comments. Uh, Fra you, you go, just jump in. Byron, uh, Franz. Um, isn't systems thinking like, let's say you've gone, you built a machine using systems thinking. You've taken all those, all those parts, you've developed the machine for this reason, but now the systems thinking comes into the effect where you're like, okay, this machine was built for this purpose, but there's going to be a knock-on effect 
you know, of, I don't know, we've built a desalination plant and now we're adding this X amount of carbon into the atmosphere and we're adding this X amount of salt back into the water system and blah, 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 which is what they didn't do. They created these desalination plants and just pumped salt back into the ocean and that's all gone to shit. But you know what I mean? Like, it's Yeah, not- I mean, my, my sense is you're trying to salvage this, this way of thinking about systems thinking. You know, you're saying that you can join parts and end up with a system and then you can start to use systems thinking right, to understand its complexity and its knock-on effects. Is that right? Isn't that the difference between, you're saying mechanistic thinking and systems thinking is relatively the same thing. And I'm saying, isn't it further on? Like, or am I wrong in my thinking? Completely off on another tangent. I think all these thoughts are true, true but partial. Like I said, I didn't have a script here. We're fumbling around. <laughs> but what I'm interested in heading towards though, Franz, is, is rather than sort of saying at some point systems thinking comes in to help us look at mechanistic systems is is there a way of looking at the world that's just not mechanistic that doesn't start by saying the first step is to understand what the primary fundamental elements are and i should allude back to to newtonian physics which is 400 years old and it dominates the whole way we see reality and the primary idea there is that you can see the world as an empty space um, and that the way things happen is when basically atoms or billiard balls hit each other and the primary reality is, is the billiard balls and then, and then you've got the connections between them. And if we can break them apart and understand them and look at the way they interact, then we can actually build up an understanding of reality, which is what birthed um, this whole mechanistic approach. And what I'm saying is that often systems thinking, and certainly in permaculture, we grab it and say it's this amazing alternative to mechanistic thinking. What I'm saying is if you look not that hard, I'm struggling to see the difference. And I believe, well, what I want to get into is the fact that I'm already aware of some stuff that is a profoundly different approach that I think does permaculture a lot more justice, or at least as an alternative, not necessarily as, um, you know, as the, the, the only way. What anyway, is you, it then? Tell us. Uh, that's what I was hoping to build up a bit of suspense. <laughs> then there was no grand reveal. You're not going to living systems, are you? No, but that's an interesting little... Um, Tangent to go. I, want, I actually I don't, don't get distracted. I don't know if I'll be brave enough, but I'll, I'll, I might hit Carol up about that, right? Because is it, it, yeah, you can say, well, we're not talking about systems thinking, we're talking about living systems thinking. Anyway, I'm not getting distracted. Is there, does anyone want to have a take a putt or have a guess? Or do we, Byron and Joel? Um, oh, go ahead, Joel. You sure? Okay. Um, yeah, I think, I think you, you're onto something really, really great here, Dan. I think. I think you're right in in a sense that the systems thinking also did come out of mechanical mindset. It was never from a biological exactly. lens. It was never from an ecosystemic lens. So um, 100% right on that. But I, I want to play, uh, I'm calling it Ronnie's card now, the time card. Oh, not Ronnie's card. Uh, yeah, uh, because, <laughs> because again, when we looked at those definitions, a relationship um, as a state of connection, connectedness, like what? how can a relationship exist if it's just a snapshot in time? It doesn't mean anything. It's like saying that my great, great grandparents are, are in a relationship. It's like, it's, it's not, it's not alive anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. So that time element that, like you said before, David Bohm's view of an undivided flowing reality is where we're at. So, there is no, there are no systems. There are no parts. They're all just useful illusions that we create in a dualistic way of thinking, but there is no 
we, we live in non-duality. So all we have is this flowing. Undivided flowing yeah, wholeness. Undivided yeah. flowing wholeness. Yeah. Well, as we go on, I think I'll make an argument that some illusions are less useful than others. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's a good point that that's, if you look back, like cybernetics and early systems thinking was all machine theory. It all came out of making guided missiles and stuff like that. And then people took those ideas and said, oh, we can use this to understand ecosystems as opposed to saying well, a few last thoughts or, or, or guess or yeah so dan i'm excited to hear where you're going to go next but i do want to <laughs> back a little bit on the jump that you made from the definitions for relationship and interconnectedness yes they were all pointing out that first you need the parts to connect or else the relationship doesn't exist but to say that just because you need the parts first does that mean that the parts are more important than the connection when it comes to having a system. So like to say that yes, relationships need parts to connect. It feels like a truism. And then that doesn't necessarily make the parts more important than the relationship when you're talking about a system versus a pile of parts. Yeah. I've been down that pathway in the past, trying to try to salvage a, you know, kind of a broken world. <laughs> okay, okay, let's hear. I mean, one, one little, one little other piece to that is if you, if you, when you see the prefix inter, does anyone know what that means? So interconnection. What does inter mean? Connected without, but like within. Well, it, the word, the word inter means between, mm. and so it means between connection. And the word between is one of these words that doesn't make any sense unless there's at least two things that it's between. And, and then you realize our oh, relationship is this, like, it actually doesn't stand alone. And yeah, you can say that, that once the relationships are up and running, that they're both equally important, but the, this, the, the, there's a powerful bias written into that whole way of thinking about systems that always is going to default back to the parts. Mm. And, you know, where's, you know, where's the relationship? I can't see the relationship, but I can see that person and that person, or I can see that cog and that cog. Um, like we, we, we say that the relationships are primary and what really matters. But yeah, anyway. So take us there. Are we ready? Okay. All right. So I think I'll share screen. So this, this is a, um, a section looking at this distinction between systems thinking and the other thing. And hey, Grace, this is a section of the book on living design process that I'm drafting. I'm really excited because these sessions afterwards, like last week, I got really excited because last week we actually looked at that time component, by the way, um, and like making process primary as opposed to seeing the world in, world in static terms and then trying to press the go button. Um, and, and they're distinct in my mind. You, you, can, you can use systems thinking in the way we're looking at it. And most systems thinkers do. They totally acknowledge process and flow, right? But you, this, the underlying mechanistic understanding of what's in process and flow is, is, is held onto. So I think we need to sort of tackle those. You can adopt one without adopting other. Yeah, so anyway, this is the section that I'll develop after tonight. And I've been learning stuff here too. Like it's like in a way I've discovered a, um, a chapter sequence, right? Like, and this is recorded because it's nice to find hopefully compelling ways of kind of revealing the, the, the issue and then move towards ways of reconciling it. So you see that it's a page in the book. It's from system to field. And so the, the idea is here is that there is a fundamentally different concept. That's a different concept to a system altogether. So it's not basically pretending to do something different by switching the word machine out for the word system, but basically still having a, seeing the world as a machine. 
which as far as I can tell is exactly what's happening. And then we get these huge red flags of, oh, permaculturists try to talk about systems thinking. The first example they give is a machine. That should be like beep, 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 back up, perform a U-turn. So the, the alternative is, is field thinking. And the fundamental difference between field thinking, and a lot of you know about field thinking, it actually arose in physics as an alternative to Newtonian mechanism, where they realized we just can't understand the shit we're looking at by seeing it as separate components. Like the, a lot of you know more about that stuff than I do, the wave particle stuff, you know, the slit thing, the, the, the behavior of an electron um, is, is informed by the way in which you look at it and, and, and by other electrons that don't actually have any direct connection that totally mess with our whole understanding of how it worked. And so field theory, and it's had different manifestations, classical field theory, quantum field theory, but that, and I don't know a lot about that. And I know that it's been developed to a much, much lesser degree. Like for all the attention systems thinking's got, field theory's got virtually none outside of physics. There's certain psychologists like Kurt Lewin and others that have developed it. But the fundamental difference, as I understand it at this stage, is that in field theory, the field is primary. The field is the primary reality. So when David Bohm says the primary reality is undivided flowing wholeness, what he means by the wholeness is the field. So the primary reality is an undivided flowing field. And so we start with the idea that there's a field that's primary. And then secondarily, if we want to, we can look into the field and we can find singularities in the field, which are like eddies in the flow. Like one way of thinking about this is um, if you look into a, a stream or a creek or a river that has some rocks and stuff in it, and the, and the way the water is interacting with, with these things, there you go, interacting. <laughs> the way the water is flowing is, um, is creating little eddies, little spots of turbulence. And you can discern those as distinct things. It's like, that's the eddy. It stops about there, it starts about there. And yet to say that the eddy existed as a part or a component of the system prior to the field of the, of the whole body of water is obviously just outright bullshit. So you can see, well, that's a totally different metaphor, a totally different way of approaching things. And even from the get-go, it's so much more powerfully germane and relevant to permaculture subject matter, which is living systems. So you realize, oh, I can look at a tree and try and break free of systems thinking, which defaults back to um, oh, it's, you know, seeing the parts, the leaves, the branches, everything else, and having to remind myself, oh, no, it's not about those. It's, it's, um, it's about the relationships. Or you can say, the tree is literally an energetic and, and uh, it's, it's, an ed, it's an eddy in a larger flow, which it is as we are. And not, even Norbert Wiener, who was one of the founders of cybernetics, um, that in a way contributed to what I'm calling systems thinking, he talked about how we are not stuff that abides, we are, we are eddies in the flow, we are patterns that perpetuates ourselves. So we start to see, and it's, it's complete inverse, right? Because rather than saying parts are primary, relationships are secondary and then holes are tertiary we're saying basically the whole the field is primary and then within the the dynamics of the field little pockets of, the, of you can you could say non-homogeneities like from it's not a, it's, the field is not homogenous there's a there's a there's a little eddy in the field called ronnie in a, in a little sub eddy that actually emerged from the ronnie eddy at one point called um, grace and you can you can practice this and I, I do this sometimes. I go out and you look at a wallaby or a tree and you just start to train yourself. And it's quite delicious because the beautiful thing about it is you don't need any connection. <laughs> as soon as you make parts primacy, you have to connect them to, to take any sort of step towards wholeness. But it's a broken step. And it's a step that can never get you to undivided flowing wholeness because you started with divided parts and you're trying to join them. It's like trying to stick together the pieces of a, of a shattered mirror. 
the crack lines remain and it's, it's you're never going to get there as, as opposed to saying, oh, we just don't even have to take on that struggle. We can start with field as the primary reality. And that's what it is. You know, like an ecosystem is a, is a, is a, is a differentiated field. And so that's the basic idea. And I'm, I'm wanting to develop it a lot more. I'll say one more thing and then, and then maybe we can get some reflections. One fundamental flaw that I see recurring, and, and I believe it is a consequence of what we're calling systems thinking, which I'm realizing more and more, and I haven't put it this way before, but I think it's basically mechanistic thinking in fresh language. The, the under, underlying idea is exactly the same. The language has changed and the focus is a bit different. Let's, let's, let's emphasize interrelationships and relationships and the whole and all that and process and flow. But it's still basically trying to tweak and, and make the mechanistic paradigm work is the spaces in between. So when we, when we take this approach to design and we, and we start to think about process, because we are systems thinker, we, we thinkers, we think of process and design process in system terms, which means the first question is what are the parts? Okay, well, observation is a part, design is a part, implementation is a part, evaluation is a part. Okay, now we need to understand the interrelationships amongst the part. And now you go and look at any permaculture book that exists in the literature, any of them, and I've looked at a lot of them with this, and they all do this. And you can see it, I can see it very clearly. They're all using a mechanistic thing disguised as systems thinking to understand what process even is, which means they have to start with the parts, and they'll either put them in a line or a circle, or this book, Human Permaculture, one of its tricks is to try curves and spirals and all kinds of stuff. It doesn't hide the fact that they started with a, a linear sequence of parts, um, and, the, and, then, and then they say, oh, of course, it's actually, they're all related. They're all really related. It's not linear. You're trying to kind of delinearize and undivide a fundamentally divided beginning. When what I'm, what I'm calling a living process, we approach creation process as, as a field, as a field of activity. We just don't have those issues at all. It's like within the field of a creation process, there's certain qualities and they're like eddies in the flow. Some are more prominent. So at some, at some time, the energy is more around immersing in what's going on. But it's not like that's a, a part that, that, that then stops and then we move into design. What happens is, is, is the quality of the eddy starts to change and, and, and some possibilities start to emerge. I mean, I'm making a big leap here from a river and a tree to a design process, but I wanted to let you know where I'm going. I'll mention one last piece before I shut up. So you're going to have plenty to, to chew on. The last piece, and I think this is so significant and important. Actually, you know what? I'll shut up. You guys, you say some stuff. I've talked about the fundamental issue in this old profoundly compelling alternative. Um, and I've pointed out how that when we actually start to think about process itself, we can think of it as system or field. Um, and, and then after I've had some reflections, I'll, I'll, I'll draw your attention to something that's very practical and you can all go and relate to in your backyards. And every time you do a design that has, to me, a fundamental impact on the quality and the life of the design because at the end of the day, if the process is, a, is, a, is basically a machine disguised as a, as a system, um, the outcome is going to be a machine. It's, it's going to lack life as opposed to the process is alive. And in, in, in the sense of what I mean by live is, is more closely informed and served by the idea of a field, then the outcome has a much higher chance of being alive. Okay. All right, let's go around. Be good to hear some reflections. And, and, you know, flaws too. I'm not, I'm not here being the expert, right? I'm, I'm, I'm exploring ideas in real time with you all and I want us to help each other crash test them. Because remember the nestedness? This is me interacting with us towards refining the stuff to bring, um, to, to support permaculture as a whole to enhance its design process intelligence. This is the, um, the research lab.
I think to, to give you full respect, Dan, I'm, I'm going to have to watch this again tomorrow before I give any <laughs> take. <laughs> I think it might have gone over my head, mate. But it's a, it's a bit in there. At the same time, I would, I would like to think this stuff can be totally translated and then really made extremely practical, even though it's very deep and fundamental. It's actually, actually retraining ourselves the way we see, realizing that we see through a systems lens and it's possible to see through a field lens. And I'm not saying good or bad. There's a place for systems thinking for sure, but we shouldn't default to it and treat it if it's the only option on the table because it's not. Very, very good point. I'm, 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 I'm holding out for the practical breakdown. Okay. All right. Let's see what I have to say. I was thinking back to the permaculture introduction course that I gave and like, how would I explain this to people? Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I, I, I tried to get it in there somewhere, but I kind of failed. And probably it's because I don't understand it well enough to explain it to other people. So the way I explain it now is really like systems thinking that we described uh, just a while ago. And then luckily I didn't use the bike as an example, but like the, a tree as an example, like a chestnut tree. Yeah. Uh, but then the, the design process is like, uh, yeah, like steps. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just, I don't know. Have you taught this in courses? Like, because when I try to explain the permaculture principles, yeah, it's easy for if people have an understanding of what are the elements and, and, and the relationships and the functions of the systems. Yeah. Um, so that, that's difficult to translate for me. And then also, uh, it's already a great step to get people from just looking at the world as something static with elements towards uh, elements with interactions that is dynamic over time. But then to, to make the leap to say, like, let's forget everything and immediately look at it as a flowing whole. Like, I don't really get my head around how I would explain that. <laughs> Right on, Arthur. I mean, I've been here too. It's, it's kind of hard. It, it is much easier because we've been brought up in a mechanistic world to basically have a, have a, have a, a slightly more sophisticated variation of mechanistic thinking presented to us. And it is exciting. And it does open doors. And like I say, it's not bad, but you can see the issue is that if permaculture only goes in that direction, it's really limiting its potential. And these are open questions. It's what I'm struggling to do. I'm, I believe it is possible. I mean, Ronnie did a, our last PDC where some of these flavors were, I was attempting to bring them through. But um, I, want, I want to be developing this stuff. And to me, that's the ultimate. One of the ultimate outcomes is to be able to develop these ideas so they are accessible to an introductory audience. And I'm sure it can be I done, right? We because I was thinking maybe it, it's, a, it's a good step to first explain it in this way with the relationships between people and then make the leap. But like you said, it's actually a completely different way of understanding. So yeah, yeah. Well, it's the same. Probably you should start there. Yeah. Do you, do you start by going further in the wrong direction, or yeah. you know, it's, these are all good questions. And I, I mean, everyone can relate to a river and the eddies. You know. Anyway. I also think it depends who you're teaching permaculture to. So if you're teaching permaculture to a very white Western community, maybe they will really struggle with this. But if you introduce this concept to a Zen Buddhist or potentially a First Nations community. They might completely understand it because, for example, in Zen Buddhism, they, they um, have the concept of emptiness. So if we talk about a tree, where does a tree end and the rest of the world begin? A tree cannot exist without exchanging oxygen and carbon dioxide and nutrients and water, etc., etc. When does a human being stop being a human being and start being 
amount and colonized by bacteria within and without. Like, yeah, yeah. And so I'm quite like I'm perfectly happy to run with this with you, Dan. Oh, as long great. as we can start working on how do we start to discern those holes mm-hmm. <laughs> in this field and then work with the direction they're going. But yeah, well, that's very exciting just because what you're pointing out there is if you look closely at a part in a living system, it pretty much dissolves into, into the field anyway. Like you can't actually find a point where the, the stops and the that starts. Well, that's right. And, but that's, so that's very much a way your culture has brought you up to mm, see the world. Definitely. And so yeah. we often, you know, I look around and I see the faces and I'm, seeing a lot of white Westerners, but it really depends on who you're speaking to and the way they view the world. Yeah, it's a great point. But I believe you're right. I, I strongly believe that indigenous worldviews are much more grounded in a, I mean, of course they are, right? They're, they're less mechanistic. They're grounded in, a, in, a, in a, um, a field reality where it is all, it is all could, one. Could I, add, could I add something to that? Yep. Uh, yeah, so I thought um, the original, yeah, I think also some of these communities are just going to hear and go, yeah, exactly. You're what's so the, what's right, the big right. deal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, th- I think the original spiel that you gave, Dan, about fields, it came really came through to me that you really get the field thing. And I, I'm reading Carol's book at the moment and I'm, I'm putting it into practice. And I, I think that's the difference. Like it, it's, it's not a one minute pitch. Oh, this is a field. It's, the, Carol's approach, I think, is brilliant because she she puts the she puts it out there and says, "Now go and now go and um, sandbox this, drop into it, as you say, and experience it. Then it will start to work on you. But it's mm-hmm. not going to cut. It's not going to come through as an elevator pitch. Otherwise, you might have just replaced the word field with system, exactly. and people aren't going to go. Oh yeah, well, it's just a system, but renamed." Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. It has. It has. And it, a lot of this has to be felt too. Yeah. And, and experiential. Which is hopefully what we're all going to do, right? And then come back and report on our various experiments. Is that? I don't know if this is very naive, but I just wonder if there's something. If I'm thinking of saying a football game or a soccer game or something. You can, I'm just trying to think, because this is so different of analogies and stories and metaphor, which is obviously where this has got to go and then experience. But if you can somehow sense if a, a soccer or football game, people are kicking the ball to each other. And that's one way of viewing it as a series of players and balls and interactions and someone hits someone and bite the side and all that sort of stuff. But there's also something there about being in the crowd, in the atmosphere. There are flows of energy through that game. And I just wonder whether, I don't know, I'm just desperately grasping for some way of turning this into something other than the mechanistic. And I can't because I'm not, I'm from such a mechanistic background. Yeah. So we've got, yeah, I know that, I don't know if it's Kurt Lewin, but there's been some Gestalt psychologists that have, have attempted to, approach human psychology through a non-mechanical way because that's that's by and large the dominant approach to psychology and i know they've done some work in the context of soccer fields you know and 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 yeah and the and the and the um the patterns of energies and where there'll be there'll be times where it'll be really useful to think about it from systems thinking i'm sure especially if you're dealing with machines like the mechanistic view is brilliant but it's opening up the possibility of a, of a different perspective um, so we've got 13 minutes. Yeah, I, I feel like I'd like to at some point bring 
There's, there's, there's just an aspect of this, an implication of that, that I think is very easy to go and experience. But does anyone want to add any last little bits? I, I, hope, I hope we are actually literally generating a field of shared energy or interest in this stuff too, because it's bigger than I can tackle, and it'd be lovely for people to go and look it up and try and find anyone who's had this approach or you know, critiques and examples from your I, experience. I just say one thing. Yep. I was wrong before because I didn't understand what systems thinking was. So I think more of what I was trying to explain was actually looking at it from the outside yep. and feeling it as a whole. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what to call it. You call it fear. I'm saying, you know, you walk into a place, you just stand there and you experience it. You don't look down at the parts. I, like when I walk into the garden, I don't go, oh, this is the parts of it. I, you know, it's that, you know, it's yeah. the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. The thing. You know? 100%. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, that's... So, why, so maybe I was trying to put systems... That, what I'm going to say is that maybe I was trying to put systems thinking to try and explain what I was... Yeah, yeah. Totally. Which is, what are we going to do? We're going to use the tools in our toolbox, right? To try, well, there you go. <laughs> Funny, once you start looking for mechanical metaphors, they show up a lot. Um, but yeah, at some point, it's like, well, maybe we just move to a to a, a framing that does better justice. I might just add uh, the... the I, reframing what I was discussing as a system earlier, like a, a class, I think if I thought of it as a flow of learning, like the, the river metaphor is actually quite useful and seeing it just as a, like a, like a flow of, of energy that people bring to the class. And as you drop in extra information, it kind of gathers strength and a bit like what you've done by dropping field theory into this, it's kind of given us a lot of extra direction. And so I can see how I could reframe my original system in that way of thinking reasonably easily, as long as it's not grabbing onto, onto physical things or the, the individuals. Fascinating. Yeah. Oh, oh, Brian. I'd love to tack something real quick onto the end. Yeah. Yeah. This whole conversation has reminded me of, um, some of you might be familiar with the philosopher, Alan Watts, who really like kind of brought Eastern philosophy to the Western world. And I was, I just peeled through one of his books that I have. And this chapter is called the world is your body. And the first few sentences really resonate with what's kind of... i read them out. Here, love to. We have now found out that many things which we felt to be basic realities of nature are social fictions arising from commonly accepted or traditional ways of thinking about the world. Some of these fictions have included the notion that the world is made up or composed of separate bits or things, that things are differing forms of some basic stuff that individual organisms are such things and that they are inhabited and partially controlled by independent egos. And the list goes on, but it really just resonates with the whole field theory that you've been sharing. Same stuff. Well, yeah. see it different ways. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. It's beautiful. Well, actually where I was going to go, it brings in some of those flavors. So one implication of this is, and I, th I think Barry, I got some of some energy around this from you as you were speaking is that our felt experience of being in a space can move from being one part among parts and remember if, if we if we're focusing on the interconnections between parts we're inadvertently strengthening the inter we're strengthening the between so we're actually making ourselves separate you know we're actually trying to <laughs> focus on the interconnections and pull us together we're actually literally reminding ourselves every time we say inter that we're separate and one definite implication i noticed a huge shift in the quality of my permaculture design work was when i moved from my job as a systems thinker is to assemble a list of parts and i start with the parts their primacy then to join them, to relate them, find their connections. And then after that, a whole will emerge, which is exactly how Bill Morrison 
um, defining permaculture design. So it's very deeply in permaculture's DNA. It'll be a bit of a project to, to shift it up. And when we move to this field approach, as, as Alexander does, Christopher Alexander, uh, he doesn't use the word field so much, but he uses different words, words like um, his, his idea of what he means by a, a centre um, is one really promising exploration in this direction. But, but check this out. I, I, I pulled up a little quote too. So this is him talking about a tree and, and, and leaves. He says, consider the leaves of a tree. At first sight, it seems as though the leaves are solid and the air between the leaves is merely space. But the air between the leaves is as much a part of nature as the leaves themselves. It takes on shape as strongly as the leaves themselves. And like the leaves, it is given its shape by the influences which work on it. Each leaf has a shape which is determined by the need for strength, growth of the material, the flowing of the sap within the leaf. But the air between the two leaves is given its shape as definitely. If the leaves are too close together, the air between, between the leaves cannot act as a channel for the sunlight, which the leaves need. And there may not be enough breeze there to ventilate the leaves. If the leaves are too far apart, the distribution of the leaves on the twigs and branches is inefficient and the tree, tree will not get enough sunlight to support it. Every part you look at is not only whole in itself, but is part of a larger whole, has holes all around it, and is itself made up entirely of holes. Um, and even though he's bringing in the, the language of holes and parts there, really what he's really coming from is this idea of totally redefining how we think about the spaces in between because if we start by parts we think of the think of them as physical objects that are demarcated and then we haven't touched on this but when we focus on them their interrelations in the whole we create we completely miss the space in between we just write it off as empty void in between when if you go into any garden you can feel this and experience this in your body what makes it a pleasant space to be or not is the shape of those spaces in between and so one little thought experiment I, I like to do with people sometimes, and I'd, I'd invite you to try this on, as wacky as it might sound. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's, it might sound like the kind of experience you might have on acid or, or something, but take a cup of tea, go, go into a garden space and then do this, this experiment. And to me, this is one way of actually starting to concretely shift and, and be able to have access field thinking as a, as a, as a frame. So you go into the space, and, and first you look around and it's very hard not to see, oh, there's a tree, there's a chook house, there's a path, there's a pond, there's a wall. And I mean, it, it, it probably helps to look at it and then close your eyes and, and then you can imagine the garden. So you imagine this garden, it's this empty space filled with all this stuff. And then what you do is you imagine that you, you put a 20 meter high wall around the circumference of the entire garden. And then you tip as many thousands of liters of um, jelly mixture into this wall. I mean, try this now. Let's do it. So you, you've got your eyes closed. Just image a garden space, some space with some stuff growing in it that you're familiar with. It might be your backyard or whatever, a community garden, something. And then imagine that you you put a 20 meter high solid waterproof wall around the outside. So you effectively build a swimming pool enclosure around it. And then you fill it up with like a couple of million liters of um, jelly mixture or however it makes it, it how, mu how much stuff it takes to, to fill the thing up flush to the top. Okay, and then you let it dry and then maybe you can take away the, the wall. So you've got this massive cylinder of jelly, slightly wobbly, that's filling every single little space in between every leaf of every tree, between the compost bays and the um, greenhouse, whatever. The greenhouse itself is totally full of jelly as well. And now what I want you to do is, is imagine that you've got the power to click your fingers and suddenly all the physical objects that were there before, they disappear 
So they're gone now. And so all you can see is a void where they were. And so what you've done is a profound um, figure ground switch where now what was originally invisible empty space, the space in between, is, this, is, this, the, is the jelly. And the, the original physical objects have gone. And then just watch that and observe it and look at the shape and the, the, the sizes and the gradients of that jelly. And, um, and just sort of get to know it, notice it as a thing, and then realize that as you, as you, as you design, you are creating a, a, a jelly shape. <laughs> you know, you're, you're creating a configuration, a, a shape to the empty space in between. And that is, as Alexander says, it's, it's equally as critical as the things we call physical objects. And it's even more so when we're talking about the actual feeling and flow and the field as a whole of the space. And that's, that's one thing I've been doing ever since I've learned about Alexander. It just makes an enormous difference because you see, you see this. You never see this mentioned in any permaculture books. It's all about elements, parts, connections, create the whole system. And the actual space in between is often just, a, it literally is an accidental byproduct as opposed to, you see what we did, we actually approached the space as one continuous field with differentiations. And some of those different, some of those regions we call the path, or, you know, like the, the empty space we walk through, some of it we call the tree, but suddenly we realized that, that it's all critically important and, and the objects can't exist without, the space can't exist without the objects. And we're looking at, at reshaping the texture of the whole field. That's our job, not to just take in Take, chuck a few more elements in or take some out and join them around, basically play Lego, just mix with it, mess with it as if it's a machine, but to modify the texture of the living whole field. And, and that at times has been almost a, you know, the moment of spiritual awakening. When, when at moments I should literally dip into that and I myself um, become immersed and kind of, I, I, I become part of the undivided flowing wholeness that's there. If we can, if we can sort of relearn how to see and participate in it. And you, it's quite a warm and fuzzy feeling as well. Okay, so that was that. <laughs> that makes sense. Mm. Interesting stuff, isn't it? Yeah. The power of the power of the um, the unconscious assumptions and ways of looking at the world we bring, and how they can translate into profoundly different experiences of being alive, but also participating in life and, and design and creation. Oh, wow! This has been so much fun. I'm kind of glad Michael didn't come because we would have had to compress this into the first hour and fifteen. I'm glad he chickened out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. It's 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 been a it's, it's, I'm, I'm feel really excited that I don't know like the setup and bringing some of those aims. It's, it's felt like an authentically generative field of shared inquiry, and, and I'm pumped to go and do some writing. A few closing reflections before we call it a call it a session. How are you feeling? How's it been? When are you going to go outside and mess with some jelly? and intense and. <laughs> Needs another viewing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna I'll probably watch it again myself actually, because there was yeah, we covered a lot, right? And there's some really interesting avenues and all that. Mm. I I particularly was pretty pumped out just looking at those words in real time, which I hadn't done. It was just a hunch, but it's like, oh what a machine is defined as interconnection is defined as. Um so I want to pull all that stuff into the book. All right. And I think um yeah. I think meditation and sitting in silence like you were saying to go out and really just be with um i think that's a good practice to um let go of um the thoughts and let go of um 
sort of as we understand sort of allow for anything to happen and unlearn so those are all ways that we can perhaps access better this field of knowing and or being yeah on that note i'd love to get to start cultivating more of more interactivity between sessions so we can share experiments uh, I would like to share something. Oh yes, quick. please, so, please, please. Yeah, like the um, yeah the the thing with the negative space as a as a dancer actually that's something we connect to often. Yeah, like, and we yeah. talk about dance composition. The space in between the bodies is mm. very important. Mm. Mm. And in one of my classes, so somebody brought up like a, like a little book about a, from ar architecture where I also talked about negative space. And there's even like a Danish architect who wrote a book, Life in Between Buildings. Oh, wow. So that's Jan Gell. And like the whole premise is about like, yeah, the space in between hmm. and how to make use of that. And it's still something I would like to, to get to and read also as, yeah, I think as a designer of, of space, of, of garden or that, like the space between the negative space is hugely important mm -hmm. yeah beautiful thanks again for the dance example yeah and is it full-on that that actually gets completely it's completely invisible <laughs> in the systems thinking that permaculture adopts well i mean maybe i'm missing with, something but with music it's like the same thing if you think i'm a musician if you think about like silence is really important in music exactly. if you remove the silence from music then you just have one big noise <laughs> like totally, no yeah. one would enjoy it tattoos tattoos are another one that's right <laughs> <laughs> no, no no differentiation right. that's it Done. thanks everybody beautiful thanks, everyone. bye bye thanks. good night bye. Thank you.